the monsters under our beds. Um, today I want to talk about the death monster. Uh, that's when we stay awake at night and we fear, are fearful about death and afraid of some of the things that come with it. Um, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, was talking with his disciples and he said in seven, uh, excuse me, 6 and verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious, anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so Jesus, when preaching one of the greatest sermons ever, says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Just kind of focus on today. And that's great advice, but let's be honest. Every one of us, no matter how strong we are in our faith, we worry about death. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Because I believe if I were to poll every single person in here, the, universally the thing we would have in common the most when we talk about things we fear would be death. And there's a lot of things that go into why we fear death that we'll dig into later on, but um, we're not fearful necessarily for ourselves. Um, a lot of times we're fearful for others, like we're afraid for those we love and we're afraid for those that we care about. And we're all afraid when the phone rings in the middle of the night what the voice on the other end is going to be saying. It's scary when the phone rings. You, you, don't, you don't even want to hear the phone ring in the middle of the night. And so we instantly start thinking, what could this call even represent? Um, and so that fear kind of consumes us. I remember growing up, my mom would always be so afraid and when we were out. And my mom would not go to bed until if we were staying with a friend, she knew we were at home or until we physically came home. She would stay awake. And I was always like, come on, mom, we always show up where we're supposed to be. We always come home when we're supposed to be. And now that I have kids, I can understand exactly what my mother was going through. She couldn't physically protect us, but she had to know that we were okay. And so she worried about us until we were able to get home. You know, uh, one of the things that I consistently have to do is deliver bad news as a chaplain. Um, and if you were to ask any inmate, they would tell you, getting called to the chaplain's office is not a call that you want to receive. And so I always try to, like, take away some of the stress. If I'm calling about something non-urgent, I would say, hey, can you communicate? I need to see this person but it has nothing to do with any kind of death. And that communication may or may not make it to them. And they'll talk about how long of a walk it is from where they are, their dorm, until where they're coming to me. Because it seems that I always have to deliver bad news to them. And so that fear that can consume even the, the toughest, roughest person, uh, it's universal. Everybody faces it. And so death can affect each and every person no matter your age, your race, your spiritual journey, your religion, whatever it may be, death affects every single person. And I have delivered death messages to some of the biggest gangbangers that you can imagine. I remember one week in particular on a Sunday, a guy was doing some stuff that he wasn't supposed to do in a chapel, and so we sent him back to his dorm. And when I came in two days later, on my desk was laid for me that I had to bring this guy up to share with him that his mother had died. And so a guy who was combative, who we knew was one of the main leaders in a gang called the Gangster Disciples, he sat in front of me and it was breaking him down that his mother had died. Man, death affects every single one of us. It's the reality that we live with. It's the fear that every one of us must face. And it's something that can tear us down. 
And so none of us want to look death in the face. But last night I was watching this documentary about Camden, New Jersey. And if you're not familiar, Camden, New Jersey was at one point one of the deadliest places to live in all the world. Um, they were so stricken with their budget that they had to lay off everybody on their police force. And as they did that, crime rose. And so it was a dangerous place to live. And so this whole documentary was about how they revitalized this park and, and they brought cops in and how it just changed the whole neighborhood and, and drugs and, and violence and stuff had went down. Uh, but what was amazing is you would watch these kids and it was about this Little League baseball. And what would be something alarming to us, shots being fired near us, to them was just everyday life. It was like, oh, that's just people shooting at each other. And I thought, man, how numb they've come to death. They would talk about how normal it was to just grow up and lose your best friend. One kid who was 17 years old was talking about how in one year, five family members were shot. And he was talking as if it was a normal occurrence. I thought, man, death. We fear it. It's inevitable. We're not ready for it. But man, it can change our lives. And I thought as I watched it, and how sad it was for them to live in an environment like that. And, and, and if I'm honest, there's many times I lay in bed at night and I wonder about the looming death that I know is coming. And so I, I finally met one time with a psychologist about these struggles that I was having in this area. My wife would tell you, I would lay up wide awake at night. And so, so the psychologist was like, you're hypersensitive to things. And and so they began to dig into my past and they said, hey, when you see hundreds of dead bodies and you're used to violence on a daily occurrence, and that was my life for a year when I was deployed, there's like, there's no doubt. And so I would think I would hear people trying to come into our house and, and I would just lay awake in fear. And, and this idea of death really began to change me. And it's why when tragedy happens, every one of us seem to turn to God. If you remember when 9-11 happened, the next day churches were slammed full of people. It's because everybody began to realize that our lives have an expiration date. That someday every one of us will end our time. And so we're reminded that our finite selves must come face to face with an infinite God. And so I ask myself this question, how can I be a Christian, assured of my eternal destiny, but so fearful of death? I mean, an atheist might say, you die and that's it. You're dead, period. An agnostic might say, I don't know where we go when we die, but if there is a God and heaven is for real, then I think I'm a good enough person to get to heaven. A Muslim would say, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds... Allah will bless me with an eternal paradise. A Buddhist might say my ultimate goal is nirvana. A Mormon could say when I get to heaven, I'll keep working until I'm more like God. But the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once. But after that, it's judgment. So death is real. It's a reality that every one of us faces. It's scary. There's uncertainty that surrounds it. But I want to spend some time this morning looking at why we fear death. And how we can overcome that fear of a reality that we all must face. Let's pray, God. Thank you this morning for your love and your mercy in our life. God, for your grace that spares us on a daily basis. And this morning, God, as we look at, at, at just a, a very sensitive subject of death and, and the effects that it has on us, God, the thing that keeps us awake at night, help us to understand how to live within that reality. God, how to trust you in those unknown moments and how to have our faith even strengthened, God, by what you do. This morning I pray for each and every person here. 
God, the most fear, the most scary thing that we face when it comes to death is not knowing where our afterlife will be. And so this morning, God, you've given the perfect opportunity for anyone who is here, God, I pray that they would have that assurance when they leave here this morning. We love you and we thank you. We're so grateful for all that you do in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Um, have you ever been in the presence of someone who plans their death? And I'm not talking about like killing themselves. I'm talking about they plan their funeral and, and who they want to preach at it and, and who they want to sing at it and, and how they want the whole service to go. I've been asked by people before, hey, when I die, I want you to do my funeral. And it's one of the most uncomfortable conversations you'll ever have because you don't ever really want to face the reality of someone dying. And so when they say, hey, when I die, my granny does it all the time. Hey, when I die, uh, I want you to do my funeral. And I go, I really don't want to talk about it. You know, it's such an uncomfortable thing. And, and it's funny, the disciples know exactly what that feels like because Jesus talked about his death quite a bit. Mark records three times that Jesus talks about his death for sure. And so if you can imagine the uneasiness that must have been to be a disciple, because your leader, the man that you've placed your trust in, is talking to you about, yeah, I'm going to be dying soon. And here's the plan for when I die. Man, it caused some uncomfortableness with them. It causes uncomfortableness when people talk to us about death because we don't even want to think about it. I don't want that to be a reality that we face. And so you can only imagine how uncomfortable it was for the disciples because everything was placed in Jesus. And so if he is questioning them about what they're going to do if he dies, undoubtedly they're going to be a little nervous and scared. What well, does that mean that I have to die with him? Or, or what do we do when he's gone? He's our leader. And so all these things were beginning to trouble them. And so in John 14 we find Jesus eating with his disciples, and we call this section the Upper Room Discourse. This is the last night of Jesus' life. He is sitting with them eating, and he will be arrested in just a few hours. And he's talking to them about his death. As a matter of fact, leading up to chapter 14 in John, he's talked to them about somebody betraying him, who we know to be Judas. He's talked to them about his death. He's talked to them that he has to go away, and they can't come with him. And he's talked to them about he's going to come back one day. I don't know if you've ever had those conversations over dinner, but it makes it a little harder to process the food, right? They're probably sitting there going, okay, this is a unique way to have a conversation. And so Jesus unloads these on them. But the beautiful thing is John 14, which is one of the most uh, beautiful chapters in the, all the Bible. Jesus offers some kind of words of peace to them. In 14.1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can you say we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. Excuse me, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is comforting them by using this statement. Let them know that he's leaving, but don't be troubled about that because they'll be together again soon. And he's like, you guys already know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, who's a very literal person, is like, I don't know where you're going. 
uh, you're going to have to explain it better. And he says, well, I am the way. If you know me, you know the way to where I'm going. I look at this, and, 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 and if you notice, they don't question some of the things we question. When we read this, instantly our minds go to, there's a mansion in heaven for me. But notice they could care less about a mansion in heaven. They don't once go, okay, wait a second. So each of us has got this own special place in heaven where you're going. Their first question is, well, where are you going and how do we get to where you are going? So they don't care about a mansion or a future reunion. They don't want to lose their leader and they don't want to lose their best friend. And when we come face to face with the reality of losing people we love or even our own selves, we could care less about a reunion and we could care less about mansions. All we care about is the people we love the most. And so what the disciples are facing is no different than what each and every one of us face. It's the reality of losing someone and how do we move forward in life. And Jesus tells them, you move forward by following me. And they're lost. They go, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to follow you? Do we follow you in death? Do we follow you in life? What does that mean? Jesus just leaves them with a statement. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You don't come to the Father unless you come through me. He basically said, if you want to know what it's like to go where I'm going, live how I live. If you want to know how to escape death, learn to live how I live. When we talk about a fear of death, we're similar to the disciples because we know it's inevitable. We know that God has prepared a mansion for us, but that does not help in the process. Never once has someone stood up in a funeral and said, I got good news for you. God has prepared a mansion for you in heaven. And they go, that makes everything better. Because it's not what we care about. We care about relationships and connection. And so what comfort can I have in that moment? See, the fear of death is not of the inevitable, but of the unknown. We all know that it's inevitable. We just don't know the details surrounding it. And so the fear of death is really comprised of several different fears that I want us to discuss this morning. Uh, first, the fear of death is really a fear of separation and of being alone. Our fears of, of death, they're mostly rooted in the reality of abandoning the ones we love or being abandoned by someone we love. I could care less what happens to my life, but I care so much about what happens to the people I love the most, even at the loss of my own life. I want my family taken care of. And so the unknown there is really what troubles me when I think of, when I think of that. God, what do I do in these moments? See, death became a reality when sin entered our world through the garden. But death was not an original part of God's plan for his creation. And so we were made to be whole and living and and made to be in perfect communication and, and perfect holiness with God for all of eternity from the very onset of creation. Um, so the introduction of death was a necessary response to the admittance of sin into our world. Had death not taken place, we would live forever in a sin-stricken world. As a matter of fact, death is actually a gracious thing that God gives to us because it offers an escape from sin. If there was no death, there would be no escape from this world. And as much as you love spending time with people, this world is overwhelming. And so graciously, God offers an escape. And it's grace that when we die, it's grace that we die because if we didn't, we would live in a sinful world for all of eternity. And I know that it's not comforting, but God did offer a plan for, your, for reunion for those who believe. 
He said in John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus offers a solution for separation. He said, if you die in Christ, you shall live in him forever. What an amazing thing to think in the grief of losing someone I love, to have hope in a reunion in the future. God graciously gave us an escape from a sinful world through death and through mercy offered a solution to reunite with those we love. Separation and being alone is a very real thing. But an eternal reunion is something that drives us through those moments of loneliness. The fear of being alone and separation was met head on when Jesus went and hung on the cross. He suffered to bring us into his family where the curse of sin could no longer affect us. And the separation and fear that brought on us a slavery had now been wiped free from our lives. It doesn't make it easier, no, but it does make it manageable and offers us hope in a very uncomfortable situation. Second, the fear of death is really just the fear of the unknown. Right? We just don't know. I don't know how I'm going to die, when I'm going to die. Is it going to be painful? I don't know these things. And so it's scary. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched a show called A Thousand Ways to Die. Um, but there's some, some crazy deaths that happen. And I just want to read some crazy deaths to you. Um, there was an Athenian lawmaker named Draco. He was smothered to death by gifts of cloaks and hats that were showered upon him by appreciative citizens at a theater one day. What a way to go, right? People can thank you so much to death. And he died. Uh, a Greek philosopher who was named Herculitis, in one account uh, given by the crazy name here, was said to have de been devoured by dogs after smearing himself with cow manure to cure his dropsies. Right? Anybody ever been through that before? Good. Good. If you did, don't raise your hand. Uh, one ancient account of the death of Chrysippus, the third century a Greek Stoic philosopher tells that he died of laughter after he saw a donkey eating his figs. He told a slave to give the donkey neat wine to drink, to wash them down, and then, having laughed too much, he died. Died of laughter. An Athenian author of tragedies named Aeschylus, according to uh, a person that was there, he was killed by a tortoise that was dropped by an eagle that had mistaken his bald head for a rock suitable for shattering the shell of the reptile. So, William Snyder, a 13-year-old boy, died when a circus clown swung him around by the hills. Um, Clement, who was a lawyer and a, 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 excuse me, a U.S. Ohio politician, he was defending a man on a charge of murder. He accidentally shot himself, demonstrating how the victim might have shot himself when in the process of drawing a weapon, when standing from a kneeling position, and though the defendant was ultimately cleared, uh, Clement died from his wounds. And then the last one, a guy named Edward Archibald, who was 32 from West Palm Beach, Florida, died after winning a cockroach eating contest. The cause of death was determined to be accidental choking. So, death is a scary thing. It's a reality that all of us face. Sometimes we can do dumb things and we can figure out how we're going to die. 
But the reality is most of us have no idea why, when, or how we're going to die, and it's scary. But the unknown of death is scary that even someone like Peter had to face that reality. Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die in John 21. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your arm, your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter has just had this very incredible encounter with Jesus who has risen from the dead. And Jesus has just three times asked Peter if he loves him. Um, kind of taken back where Peter had denied him three times. And Jesus says to him at the end of each of those three times, then shepherd my sheep, lead my sheep. He wants him to be the person who kind of charges the church forward. And that's followed by Jesus saying, but this is how you're going to die. And as we know, Peter was hung. He was crucified as Jesus was, except upside down because he didn't feel worthy. And so Jesus tells him, you're going to die in a similar way as me. You're going to be crucified. And I love Peter's reaction because it's kind of how all of us would be because we're kind of fearful, you know. And so Peter looks at Jesus and he doesn't go, all right, tell me how I can live the most productive life in this time I have left. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, what about this man? John. So he looks at him in fear and he says, well, how's John going to die? Right? I want to make sure that we all die some kind of terrible way. Right? Because when fear hits us, man, it makes us question things. We lay in bed at night going, am I eating right? Am I living right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? Because we don't know how it's going to happen and so we question all the things that we can control. Peter loved to be in control, but in death, none of us are in control. Cancer can spread and there's nothing we can personally do to stop it. A car can cross lanes and there's nothing we can do to avoid it. We can fall asleep in our bed and wake up in eternity. There's nothing we can do. And so that fear is consuming because we don't know when or how. Death is the one moment in our life that we're completely out of control. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. Jesus saw how much we would question it, how much fear we would have. And so the writer of Hebrews says, he saw those things. He knows what you're going through. And he died on the cross to conquer death so that you didn't have to be enslaved to the fear of death. The unknown of death is enslaving, but Christ conquered that, affording us the freedom that we have today. We are no longer a slave to the unknown, because the unknown of the now is the assurance of tomorrow. I don't know how, when, what the details surrounding my death will be, but I do know one thing for sure. When I do die, I'll wake up in eternity face to face with my Creator doesn't mean that I'm not scared at times and I'm fearful. But it pushes me through to know that one day I'll stand with the one who conquered death because death has no power over me. Third, the fear of death is really a fear of the afterlife. The uncertainty of where we go when we die is a driving factor to surrender. Growing up in church, anytime the preacher talked about hell, I found myself at the altar. I was scared. 
the afterlife was a terrifying thing to me. And so to ensure that I didn't go to the bad place, I laid at the altar and cried as a kid. I've gotten older now, and I understand that assurance is such a comforting thing at nighttime. To know that if I were to fall asleep in this world, to wake up in the presence of my Savior, it kind of helps ease that fear a little bit. See, I cannot control the separation. I cannot control the when and how of death. But I can control where I go. In death, the only control that we have is where we go afterwards. Paul says in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The fear of the afterlife is why many people battle the death monster at night. You want to know what keeps people awake at night when it comes to death? It's not knowing where you're going. It's laying there at night going, if I die right now, I don't have the assurance that I'll be face to face with my Savior. I don't have the assurance that when this ends, that I'll be standing in heaven one day. And it troubles them and it consumes them and they lay in bed at night asking questions and wondering what's next. And the only thing we can control in death is the thing that seems so out of control in their life. I can determine where I go through surrender. But that means that I let go of control of my life. And so what control do you really want? Do you want control of your afterlife? It means giving up control of your now. Or do you want to control your now and not control your afterlife? And that's the question that we face when we lay in bed curious about death, wondering what is it going to be when it's all over. The fear of the afterlife is why people battle the death monster at night. I don't know where I'm going, I don't know when I'm going, and I don't know how I'm going. So you can see the fear that controls someone's life. And so what are some practical steps for preparation to confront the fears of death? First, let me say if you have a children or business or dependents or whatever you have, you have to think about their care. You have to decide who's going to take over your role and work in the areas that you're not. Those are practical steps to preparation for the inevitable that will come one day. Decide who will take over your role and work with that person to come up with a plan. Look into a will or a trust and make sure all your necessary paperwork is organized and easy to find. Reconcile broken relationships before you're unable to. People don't live for dying. There's a difference between taking reasonable steps and obsessing. Preparation does not prove a lack of faith, but a love for those we care about. The most common fear people have when death becomes a clearer reality is they haven't done enough to prepare for it. If I die, what's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my business? What's going to happen to this? And what's going to happen to that? And they are so unprepared that it wrecks them. So what I'm telling you now, if you want to be prepared for this death monster, start doing things now. Prepare a will. Prepare a plan. Plan your funeral. If you want me to preach it, I'll be happy to. Um, but don't talk about it with me. Just write it down on paper. Um, but preparation does not prove a lack of faith, but a love for those we care about. And then the most important preparation we can make is spiritually. The cross was not meaningless but it affords a way for us to escape death. Jesus conquered death on the cross, and that love casts fear aside. John said in 1 John 4, 8, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
What John is saying is, when you lay in bed fearful of death, you're fearful of punishment. And perfect love has cast out that punishment. When Jesus went and sacrificed himself for us, his love cast out the fear in our life. This doesn't mean I don't get scared from time to time. It just means that there's no punishment awaiting me in the afterlife. He has cast that doubt out of my mind. His display of love on the cross removes fear and the enslavement of its grip. And today, your assurance can be in the eternal God that rescues you from sin. You can be removed from the fear of separation. You can be assured in your future. And the death monster will no longer control your life. Preparation starts with surrender. I realize I'm not in control of my life. When I come and face that reality, I know that God can do greater things with me than I can ever dream of. And the reward that awaits me after this overcomes any fear I have of what takes place in this world. Spiritual preparation means surrender. Let's pray, God. Thank you for who you are, your, your love, your grace. God, I, we're indebted to the price you paid for who we are. And God, as much as we can let you down and as much as we struggle with death, we also live in the assurance of who you are. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask this question this morning of you. As death becomes a fear that we face, where do you stand in your spiritual preparation? Do you have that assurance that if you were to close your eyes in this world, you would wake up face to face with your Savior? If you don't have that assurance, I can promise you that the death monster will be the thing that keeps you awake every night. But this morning, you can find peace and you can find perfect love at the foot of the cross as you kneel and surrender to him and his perfect love casts that fear out of your life. In just a moment, they're going to be playing a song. And while they're playing, it would be my challenge to you to give up control of yourself and take control of your afterlife and to find surrender and forgiveness in a loving Savior. I'll be here to pray with you, to guide you in that. If you're here this morning and you find yourself say, I'm already a Christian, then my challenge to you would be pray where you are. Pray for those you love and you know. If the reality of death was to meet face to face with them, you wouldn't have the comfort of where they're going and that you're going to intercede and pray for them. The altar is open this morning and, and it would be my greatest pleasure to pray with you and lead you into the assurance of your faith. Mm -hmm.